I am Jen Wilson, author and body, mind and soul coach. Welcome to the I Am podcast, where we explore who you are. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm back and I am back today with the first interview of 2020. And on today's podcast, I have Anne Hughes from Anne Hughes Ignite. And Anne is a show host on Sunny Govan Radio on a Monday evening at 8pm. And she's also on the People's Voice on the BBC on a Thursday night. And I went over to Anne's house to have a chat with her and hear a bit more about her story because I saw her talk at the Goddess Gathering when I was there back at the end of October, beginning of November last year. And Anne has an incredible story which she shares with us in today's podcast. So I'm really excited to share this with you. We do talk about politics at the start because the day that we recorded was election day. So we had cast our votes and had a good chat about that and how politics actually, it sort of morphs into all areas of life. Um, So tune in and listen to this podcast and as always, I love to get your feedback. Let me know your thoughts on the podcast. Um... And you can certainly share the podcast with anybody who, when you're listening to it, I always listen to podcasts and other people pop into my mind. So then I share that podcast with that person. So if that happens to you while you're listening to this podcast, please share it with them because Anne has got so much insight into her world and is creating amazing things. And then just before you tune into that podcast, I want to remind you that my book, Nine Rules to Sort Your Shit, is available on Amazon. It is selling actually really well at the moment, which I shouldn't be surprised because it is actually very good. But I'm always delighted when I know that people have bought it and I get that wee payment come through at the end of the month and I think... I can buy myself some food this month. Jolly, jolly. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that book's on there. I also now have a collection of jotters and workbooks and journals that are set up in a way that you can start them on any day of the year. They're not January to December and dated so that if you picked it up in the middle of the year and thought, oh, I can only use half this journal... You can you can start it halfway through and then go back to the beginning when you get into the new year. So I like to create things that are kind of multi-purpose and don't have an expiry date on them. So check them out as well. So when you look up the nine rules to sort your shit, if you click on my name, the author name, any of my other books that are connected to my name will pop up on that as well. So without any more hesitation, please enjoy this podcast and I will speak to you on the next podcast. Welcome to another episode of the I Am Jen Wilson podcast. And today I have with me Anne Hughes. And Anne has welcomed me into her home to record this podcast. So oh, thank you, Anne. Thank you so much for coming, Jen, and inviting me onto the podcast. Oh, pleasure, pleasure. So I have actually heard of you quite often over the last couple of years. Through, oh, really? Yeah. So through Hayley, who's uh-huh. a mutual friend, and also Kim McLeod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I did, when I published my book, I, um, Kim did it through uh-huh. Indie Authors Great. Um, so I've heard of you, and uh-huh. then when we were at the Goddess Gathering in the beginning of November 2019, uh-huh. you were on after me talking, and yep. I was like, that's who she is. Fuck, <laughs> she's got a really interesting story. <laughs> <laughs> haven't we all, but Jen, haven't we all? Yes, we have. So after that event, I reached out to you and said, would you like to be on the relaunch of the podcast when it comes out? So by the time this comes out, it'll be 2020. We are recording this on the 12th of December. Election day. Election day. So we've already had all our pre-recording political chat. Uh, We've kept that for other years, just for other years. 
but super important. Even it doesn't matter if an AMD is listening to this. Obviously, it's after this isn't going out live, so it's after election day. But if there's ever something going on where you have an opportunity to have a voice in it, mm. so important to have that voice. I think so important, and certainly um, today I put a message out on my social media that was, you know, the important thing today is that you turn up and vote. And as a woman, it's really important because women really fought for the vote, for my right to mm-hmm. be able to go and put yeah. my ex in my box. Um, but what's really important to me is if we want to live in society that you don't you don't put the ex in the box for what suits you because you put you should vote for what is best for everyone. A saying that me and my best friend policy a lot of the time is all ships rise with the tide. And therefore, only our society, our world, our communities only get better when we can all lift ourselves up. Because who wants to rise above everybody else? That is not a good way to live. And so when I put my ex in the box today, I was voting for the people that have that are at the edges of our society. And that they have no... They, they probably won't go and vote today because yeah. their life has got just too much shite in it for them to probably go and cast a vote. And I think if you are about your own wellness, if you are about what is good for you and good for your life and how you can be happier and you're about compassion and kindness and all the things that we're about, yeah, then it has to extend beyond yourself because if not, you're living in a very one-dimensional, selfish world. Yeah, and I think the fact that we can even be that in a political system that's not for everybody, that if you've got that mindset and that ability to push through even Mm -hmm. when the shit is hitting the fan. Yep. Those poorer people aren't in that same headspace, so they need some more support to be able to yeah. bring them up to where um, we um, are. Uh-huh. And I'm doing a lot of stuff around compassion just now, and it's uh, somebody I know said a compassionate community is a safe community. Yeah. Because if I want to be able to walk out my door and be safe, then I'm going to have to make sure that the kids that are out in my street aren't living in harsh and um, abusive and you know, hungry, cold, unloving families and households. And how do I do that? I do that by making sure that I treat them with compassion and that I ensure that our government and our state and our council and everybody else, our education system, is also treating them with compassion. And the only way we can do that is with the top down. And therefore, we need to have the right politicians running our country where it matters to them that there was a child sleeping on a a bundle of coats in a rainy department last week. That has to matter. Yes, that has to matter because if that doesn't matter to you, then well, quite frankly, I don't know, Jen, why they're listening to your podcast. <laughs> probably, they prob- yeah, probably preaching to the converted. Exactly, <laughs> so I should probably leave it away. But when I say that, when I talk about um, it's important that we have a voice. You have a voice because you have your show on Sunny Govan Radio. I do. You have a weekly column in Glasgow Live, the yep. online magazine, and yep. you're also on the BBC, is it People's Voice? People's News. People's News yep. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. show. So you get to put your voice out there quite yep. a lot. How did you get to that point? So I've always, I've been, and it was funny, we were chatting, so I've came from a very politically aware family. We always had um, political decor in our house. My parents were always very political, um, very left wing. We'll just fly the red flag right here. Um, so, you know, um, I would self-diagnose myself as a socialist and um, I am an SNP supporter as well. But um, I think that it was expected of me never to sit in a fence. So as a child, we were brought up with that. And I, I really, I, I'm not a big fan of people that sit in fences. Have an opinion. Yes. Have an opinion. Please have a voice on this. And therefore, I don't know if we're getting right into how my voice came out so loudly as it does now a days. Um, get there. I will get there. <laughs> but after that, um, after this occasion that happened in my life, I then became a person who had to say what I think, I think, Jen. It was no longer acceptable for me to just think a thought and not let it out. Mm. It was probably a bit of a psychological start scar that I was bearing that I couldn't hold things in anymore. Um, and that I just had to say what I think, which I think at the start was quite stressful. Yep. If you were maybe somebody close to me. <laughs> <laughs> Because I would just be saying what I think all the time. Um, I don't do it quite as much, but I have recognised that people do follow me and therefore on social media um, and I do have a voice and therefore where's the point of having a voice for voice's sake? I have to say the important stuff. If not, it's wasted on me. Yep. 
Um, and so I suppose that's sort of a, how it came about. And now, um, and it is interesting because, as I said to you earlier, I think that having my voice has brought in freelance and a consultant and I do different bits of work. I think it's probably lost my work before. Yeah. And that's a wee bit challenging, to be mm. honest. Of course it is. And in my, my sort of anti-music night bubble, I can sit and think, well, if you don't get me, that's fine. Click on like, don't read my column. I'm all right with you not liking me. It's one of my, it's one of my sayings. Yeah. I'm really all right with you not liking me. Um, but when it comes to me not getting a bit of work that would have given me and my family sustainability for a few months, then that's a bit more challenging. Yeah. But really, ultimately, I don't sweat the small stuff anymore. So it is what it is. And I think it's more important. I always say, um, um, I've always had a big personality, right? So I always think, some people are a wee bit scared off by me because I'm a woman with a big mouth. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but I always think some people really don't get me, but the people that do get me fucking love it. So we're all yeah. good. Yeah, all I good. think there's a lot of people that are scared to be that marmite way of love mm-hmm. and hate and too many people do try and please everybody or mm-hmm. become yes men or just, Oh, I just want everybody to like me. So I was um, talking to somebody the other day about when I was at school, I remember desperately wanting to be liked. And I would still keep an element of me. So I had like these amazing purple um, red or dead leggings that weren't high fashion. Like people were not walking about she's wearing them, but I thought these were like cool as fuck because they were red or dead to start aye, with. Aye, and aye, aye. I got them in the sale for a fiver. That <laughs> was amazing. But... I had the Bergos jacket, I had the Sovereign Ring, so if you lived in the west of Scotland, Glasgow, like, I was trying to be an Ed, because I was desperate for this group of people to like me, but see the group of people that wanted to like me, they weren't nice people, ah. the people that did like me were all nice people, and they accepted me, whether I was wearing Sovereigns and the Bergos jacket or not. Isn't that interesting? And it's like, why? That's it's just navigating life, isn't it? Yeah, it's like when you're when you're a teenager, you're desperate to try and fit into these wee niches of being liked by everybody or being popular or whatever I it is. No, so people have always... I, I know that my personality, I have got a big personality and therefore there has always been people that I'm too much for. Yep. So I've always been used to that. Equally, I was the youngest of quite a big family and therefore I was used to everybody in, uh, being entertained by me and I had ultimately no pals here so I can hate my big sister and my brother or something mm. <laughs> do you yeah. know what I mean um, and so generally when I was young I did have it and I'm somebody that makes friends very easily I have to say but and maybe we'll go into it but in case we don't I now say I'm alright with people not liking me like and I really, really, really mean that. Mm-hmm. And through things that have happened the last few years of my life, I know who my pals are. If I never make another pal in my life, that's gonna be alright. Now I continue to make friends everywhere I go because it's naturally who I am. But my my experience of my day is not dependent upon whether people like me or not. I'm freelance, I go into organisations, I do bits of work. Sometimes that can be quite Difficult work can be quite confrontational work, or you know, a lot of change that I'm maybe coming in to help happen. Therefore, people generally don't like me. So it's quite good to actually be like in a place where yeah. it's alright. I don't need you to like me. Mm-hmm. A lot of people shake their heads and think I don't mean that. I can't tell you enough how much I mean that. <laughs> I'm generally alright yeah. with people not liking me. I've got to that that space as well, but I definitely went in my teenage years through that, and then when when I got out of that and I realised the group of friends that I had that stuck my way no matter what and I was like that's what's important that's what is important exactly and then you can let that other bullshit go so now it is a case of if I go into a room and somebody doesn't like me I'll go and talk to somebody else and I think a huge thing I would have said to you no when I was a teenager because you would also have been much younger than me so you wouldn't have been maybe alive but um <laughs> but and I wouldn't have been able to verbalize this before but I think there's this whole thing about authenticity so mm-hmm. I'm I'm very authentic now. Yep. This is the Anne that that you're meeting. The mate, somebody I was just meeting about about a work this morning. Do you know what I mean? That I, I interviewed the first ministers. I've told you that she met as well as who yeah. everybody meets is the same Anne. And what bothers me especially with young people, and it's lost in the years because I've tried to say it to some of them, is if you don't turn up as yourself, then how do you know whether anybody likes you or not? Because they like a persona. Yep. They don't like you. They like who you pretend to be. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I worry that you could get to your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, and you could think, I don't know who I am anymore. 
and all the people don't like the real me. They like somebody that I made up. And actually, I can't remember who I made up for who. Yeah. So who am I? And I think that would be a really disastrous journey to find yourself on later in life. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely something that if you're in that space, you want to get out of it. The younger, the better. And it's quite funny now, and I've been very authentic the last couple of years, and now my experience of people are so funny. So some folks still are too much fun, they don't get me. Fine, it's all news, right? But see the people that do get me, it's almost that they're looking at me as if I'm a wee bit exotic, as if I'm something quite unique. <laughs> and I feel like saying, and sometimes I do, I'm just being myself. Yep. This opportunity is open to each and every one of us every single day. Mm. And yet people are going out with a complete facade and so they just seem like the next person or the last person that you met. They seem like the 10 people that you met today, especially if you go into a corporation. Yes. They could be carbon copies, and I've not got great face recognition anymore. And um, sometimes I'll know you will come back and you quite remember what your face looked like until yeah. I opened my door and seen you. And um, so literally, if I was in some organisations, I could think I'm still speaking to the same person because they're so similar. Yes. In terms of how they've dressed, in terms of what they're talking about, what their dialogue is, the voices they use, the way they've got their hair, the lipstick they've got on, <laughs> do you know what I mean, or the suit that they're wearing, and it's just like, oh my God, can people please be individuals? Because at least you'll be helping folk like me that are now struggling a wee bit with face recognition, because <laughs> I'll recognise your personality. <laughs> yeah, imagine if these personalities just blossomed, how different the world would be. Can you imagine? Can you actually imagine? And I think that, I mean, social media, me and you both are very active, aren't we, on social media? Yeah. But, and I love it for that point of view. But I think it's now got too many, especially young people, just trying to be what other people are. Yeah. And I think this is, a, I actually think, me and my friends were talking about this, that in years to come, the way people used to smoke a wee back in the 30s and 40s and all that, and it was just a cool thing to do. And now it comes with a health warning. I actually think the same thing will happen with social media in years to come. That before you sign up to your account, you'll be accepting that this is bad for your mental health. That this could cause mental health issues. Yeah. And you need to sign all these disclaimers before you're actually able to open an account. Because it is bad for your mental health. Well, the fact that, there, that there's some schools have already like banned technology, like the technology in the phones in the school. Really? There was a school, I can't remember if it was in England or Wales, where the head teacher had banned the use of phones right. in the school and the like exam results were much better, behaviour was much better, attendance was much better, everything was just much better. And I've got one of my friends, his daughter is in first year at high school and she has currently had her phone taken off her due to bad behaviour. Nice parent, I like it. Yeah. So... What he notices is when she doesn't have her phone, how much a better communicator she is, how much more attentive she is, how her behaviour is much more improved. And it's like, it, should there be an age limit to when kids are allowed to have phones then, the way that there is with alcohol, the way there is with smoking? I think that will change. Be the next thing? I think it must, the way we were talking about like social media and everything, that there's health warnings. I just think there has to be. Mm. And having taken phones off my two girls who are teenagers... Before I recognise a massive difference, and a few weeks ago, I decided one Sunday that I was going, obviously I do use my phone for work and everything, so I can't abandon it all the time, but I decided that Sunday I had to do some stuff in the morning, so I'd done that, and then at 12 o'clock I put it way upstairs in my bedroom, and I never picked my phone. I did hope the whole family would get on board with me, but they never. <laughs> I didn't pick my phone up until 9 o'clock at night, and in that time I had finished a book, done a couple of meditations, played with my wee boy, watched a film, started another book, cooked a dinner. I'd done so much stuff with my Sunday. Yeah. And what had I missed when I actually got to my phone, right? I did have quite a few notifications. I didn't miss anything that exciting. Yes. And I told you, it took me maybe less than an hour to catch up with it all. Yeah. But I would have looked at it how many times in that day. And then everybody complains they've not got enough time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. So one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was when you did your talk at the Goddess Gathering, um, you said that you did a lot of work with the like Wayne Dwyer's stuff and mm -hmm. that you had found what your purpose was. Yep, yep. And that that helps drive everything that you do with yep. your Andrews Ignite. Mm -hmm. How did you get to that point and what was it that made you realise this is what my purpose is? Right. So I started on my sort of a spiritual meanderings probably <laughs> in the 90s when I first did anybody that's listening in the west of Scotland maybe beyond as well or no Jack Black 
Yeah, 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 mine store. Yeah. I'd done that back in the nineties, and so I'd always had a hand in it, all the happy stuff, as I call it, <laughs> um, and all the positive thinking stuff and everything. I'd always had a hand in it. That then about two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten. I met an old friend from school, actually. Um, I think it was the, the advent of Facebook and everything, and yeah. we'd all got back in touch. And actually, it was like, he's the biggest dichotomy of anybody I know. He's quite a womaniser, but on the other hand, was this, like, guru. Do you know that really, really, like, insightful guy that had read all And it was him that introduced me to the work of Wayne Dyer, and I started listening to him on He House every Monday night at 9 o'clock in the He House radio station, and bought all these books, and I'm a wee bit... Um, Anyone's ever done the Enneagram? I'm a number seven on the Enneagram. I'm an enthusiast. So I have to devour everything. Yeah. So I then devoured it all. And um and just listening to him and all that, and I'm talking about purpose again and again. I thought, right, so what is my purpose in life? And I suppose to probably caveat that with for them that hasn't talked about purpose, your purpose can't be to be a mum, for example, because your kids grow up and move away. It can't be your relationship status because that could change. You know, it can't be your job because you get made redundant tomorrow. So your yeah. purpose is what drives you with it from within. And I thought, what does drive me with it from within? Yeah. So I think I just read his stuff and listened to him. And sort of I went on what I meditating and just went on that inner journey, what is my purpose? And I don't know how I worked it out because I've not got the best memory now. But I worked out that my purpose was to empower and inspire women. Yeah. And I thought that makes perfect sense to me. Now, my career has been fundraiser in the charity sector I've done that for 22 years 23 years nearly and I thought well I did empower and inspire people ultimately I was doing it because I had a financial target to meet and I was empowering them to do an sale and inspire them to raise money and all the rest of it do you know what I mean um, but it was all for good and then as life went on I realised that I want to do something different here and at first my motivation was I'm from Govan and my motivation was very much about who empowers and inspires the woman in Govan because, and I, I'm, it's the political podcast maybe, I'm getting too much, too political, but I feel as if that a spiritual journey was a middle-class pursuit, is what I feel. That in order to do all the workshops and everything I wanted to do, I would have to have been worth a fucking fortune, because it was all so expensive. Mm. You know, I bought the book second-hand on Amazon and everything, and on eBay, and do you know what I mean? And I scraped myself along into a few courses, but I couldn't afford to do all the stuff I wanted to do. And I just thought, why, why is this message being lost? I feel this is being lost. It's been kept for people that are a, that are in a different place with society with where I would put myself. Almost elitist. Uh-huh. And I thought, how do we make this like more accessible? Because it's also a lot of people speak it in a way that's inaccessible. The language they use, even the way they present themselves. And um, they over-intellectualise a lot of stuff, I think. Yep. A lot of teachers. Mm, yeah. They use jargon that normal person in the street isn't going to get. So therefore, they're not going to like, go and look up a dictionary, which I used to do way back in the day. That's how long I've been doing this stuff. <laughs> look up a dictionary and see what the word meant. They're not going to do that. They're just going to turn over and watch something else or listen to something else or read something else. And therefore, I sort of I went on a wee journey of how do I make this more accessible? And I suppose I, so that's my purpose. And now... now I'm very much on purpose, and I wasn't always. So I've probably known my purpose for about 15 years. Yep. Until two years ago, I wasn't on purpose, particularly. I was maybe a wee bit on purpose, but now I am accountable to myself to be on purpose every day of the week. Was that before your event? No. So that's since. Leading up to your event, you kind of... You knew your purpose, but we're off purpose. And then I, was off, I wasn't off purpose. I work in the charity sector. I do good work. Do yep. you know what I mean? Um, but I just, I had, like, I had, I've, all, I've had my Anne at night paid for probably 10 years, if not that long, more or less. Um, I'd stopped posting on that. I had stopped listening to all my podcasts and my radio shows. I had stopped reading my books. I had stopped dreaming about all the courses that I could go on because I was always looking them up and trying to work out how could I make that happen. I had just stopped doing all that. I, I feel as if in Oprah, who's like, oh, I love Oprah, mm-hmm. um, she says that when you're not, when you're off your path, when you're off your purpose, that the universal chap, she actually says it will knock you upside the head if you watch the wee video we're talking about <laughs> it. Um, like if you're not listening. And when I think about it, there was times probably before my momentous occasion that I did think, hey, what are you doing about that, Annie? Are you going back? Oh, no, 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 it's okay, I'll just do this. Because, you know, I'm, ma- I'm married, I've been with my husband for 22 years, we've been married for 19 years. 
Um, I've got three kids. I've got lovely friends. I did all I liked. Life was good. Yeah. But then everything changed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about your, your event? Yeah, so it was 12th February 2017 and had a normal day. So my husband was, I'd been out for my shopping and stuff. I'm sitting on my sofa watching telly with my wee boy, my two, who was two. My two girls are upstairs, they are nine and 13. And my husband shouts that dinner's ready because he's the cook. And I got up and I go into my kitchen and as I sit down at my table, um, I get a pain behind my, my right eye. So much do I wear glasses and so much that my specs come flying off my face. And um, my husband was just like, right, sat on the couch. And I, and I always say, without getting too much for me, that my husband was the first person to save my life that day, Jen, because had he said, go and have a lie and I'll wake you up in an hour, things would have been very different. Um, so I sat down on my sofa and I don't get migraines, but my teenager does. So he goes away and gets two migraine tablets. I'm like, maybe it's a migraine. And he puts the two migraines in my hand, the pink tablets in one hand and the cup of water in the other hand. And I can still feel this, this. And I, I look at it and I look at it and I say, Gary, there's something the matter with me. I don't know how to put them in my mouth. So I understood completely these tablets had to go in my mouth, Jane. Yeah. I didn't know how they were going to get there. Yeah. So we still no clue what's happening. It may be quite fair. My husband phones NHS 24. They put him through to an ambulance. The ambulance is in the room with us now. I've got the wherewithal to shout to my daughter. I think I'm now like, screaming in pain with a headache. And um, to shout to my daughter, phone your auntie in case, in case I need to go to the hospital. So my auntie's and my auntie. Their auntie, my big sister, is now on the phone to them and on her way through the south side. We lived in the west end at the time. On her way over. Um, and... He's trying to keep me awake the whole time. I was getting very agitated with him, to be quite honest, because I was really tired. And um, at one point he says to me, um, I say to him, do you think I'm dying? I wasn't scared. I was genuinely like, what is even happening here? Yeah. So anyway, the ambulance turns up. I remember the paramedics sitting in front of me. And this is beautiful, powerful words to use if you're having anybody in crisis, I have to say. He says does some checks, asked me some questions if I had a headbang or anything like that and um, and I said to him, can I please shut my eyes now and he says, yes Anne, I've got you I've got you, it's still giving me goosebumps oh, it's just, just giving me goosebumps and so then yeah. I'm out of the story really because I'm now unconscious Yeah. and I know what I know what happened next is all told to me because I was now mm. witnessing it mm. so do you think that was the universe chatting at you? I think I, I think um, I suppose. I mean, I think that I talk about the miracles, you know, and the first one was that my husband didn't say go and lie down. Yeah. Because I would have been dead within an hour. Um, the second was... So do you know what, why he told you? Just, like, have you ever had that conversation? Like, what made you say to me, go and sit on the couch and not go to bed? My husband's just quite a paranoid guy. He would always behave like that. Okay. So I... So it was I, just, it's just how, that's just how he, he would behave. Yep. I, yep. That's always just what he would do. He would always go, right, is everything okay? Uh-huh. He would never be dismissive or be like oh just lie down you'll be fine that isn't who he is anyway yes so that was always the way he would have behaved um and that we lived in Mary Hill then so the ambulance the hospital for that area should have been the royal but they took me back to Govan but in Govan the day obviously because that's yeah. where I live again I was brought up in Govan um they brought me back to the southern and I had had a, a brain aneurysm so I'd had a massive bleed in my brain. I've got a scar up here where in the top of my head where they let the blood out in the night and they said that uh, it was 20 minutes to 20 minutes longer my brain would have been compressed by the number the amount of blood around it. Um, and I'm in a coma. And um, 12 out of 15 in the coma, the Glasgow Coma Scale. It's called the Glasgow Coma Scale all over the world because it was oh. something Glasgow discovered that. Yeah. I don't know that of late. Yeah. Um, so it was a significant event. And then I continued to be in a coma um, with machines doing all, everything for me for, I think, initially for about three days. But then they couldn't operate on me. for They tried twice and it didn't work. Yeah. So it was nine days before they could actually operate me on me. So for those nine days, my life hung in the balance and my husband was told that I probably wouldn't survive. Mm. Very harsh for him and for the people that love me. Do you know what I mean? Um, and then the most amazing part of all of this, the, the biggest miracle almost, is that 
it was right in the middle of my brain. So, and uh, an aneurysm for anybody that doesn't know is like a weakness on your artery and then a blister and then the blister pops. So it was right in the middle of my brain. It wasn't on the edge. So doing it by open brain surgery wasn't really a, an option because your brain's running the whole show. So for them to try and get to the middle of my brain through open brain surgery was going to be nigh on impossible. Yeah. Um, and there was somebody visiting from Spain, which is why I'm also very anti-Brexit. But we're not getting too political. <laughs> but um, so a doctor visiting from Spain, and she went through my groin, and she put platinum in the middle of my brain. And that, I have that platinum in the middle of my brain, and that clogs up the wee blister. Yep. And that's how I can sit here and chat to you. How did she know that that was even... Had she performed that surgery before? Uh, she's an inter- that's what she does. Right. An interventionist, she's called. So that's what she does. Um, and so the prognosis was, because of the area of my brain it was in, um, they worried that I would have a disability. And Gary, my husband, said that when I was waking up for that surgery, so they knew they had put the, the thing me in, the platinum in, they knew that it was stained, the blood wasn't coming out anymore. To their eyes, it all went well, but then I had to wake up and I had to see what they got at the other end of that. So they were gauging me as I was waking up about where I could move because the chances of me being disabled were very high. Um, and Gary said, I moved like the top of my body quite quickly within an hour or so. Um, he says, but I didn't move any of my lower body for like maybe three hours or something. So he was just like, can you imagine how long those hours would have been after all that hours, six or seven hours or whatever it was at surgery? And then that. At the end of nine days. Like, exactly. That must have been the so he was more. watching and then eventually he says, I just wiggled my toes. And he was just so relieved because he could know that I could move my legs. But then I suppose we move on to the whole bit of me then having to get better, which was quite quite the journey. Yeah. Because I was quite broke. As you can imagine. Mm. You just had platinum put into your brain. It's uh-huh. going to be... Uh-huh. That was beginning of 2017, so we're now at the end of 2019. Mm-hmm. So for the fact that you're sitting uh-huh. in front of me right now as a medical in itself, yeah. and able to have this conversation, uh-huh. and to, to remember that, the story, to be able to relay uh-huh. it as well. Is I think that's the biggest miracle. Even when I see my consultant now, he does say you shouldn't be this well. You know, that, so they had at first said that I would probably have cognitive difficulties, that I, I wouldn't be able to function properly, mm-hmm. and that um, I would probably need care and stuff the rest of my life. So maybe not physically, but certainly mentally. Um, and as soon as I understood that, which again took my, my husband and my sisters telling me, and my friends telling me a lot of times what had happened to me, because I was like very confused as to why all of a sudden I was in the hospital. Yeah. Even though I had now been there for three weeks, there was still complete confusion as to why am I here. Yeah. Um, and even though they had told me 25 times, I still had complete confusion as to why I was here. Um, and I remember one night <coughs> that my sister, or day, <coughs> my sisters and one of my friends was there. And I've said again, what's happened to me? Why am I here? And they've explained it to me 10 times or something. And they've went away and I just had the thought process of, I give the surgeons 100% for saving my life. They get all the credit for that, right? Yeah. But I had the thought of, you'll fix this in your mind before you fix it anybody else. This is this is now on you, Annie. You need to do this. And I actually reflected all that stuff, all the Jack Black stuff in the 90s and all the stuff up to Wayne Dyer and all the stuff since Wayne Dyer. 20 years of a spiritual journey. Yeah brought me to this very moment because I know better. I know better than to feel sorry for myself. I know better than to sit and cry. I know better than to think, poor me. I know better than to get angry. I know this has to be about a positive mental attitude (laughs) all the way now. You will decide how you come out the other side of this. Unfortunately, I was able to do that. So had you already been through the anger and the tears? No, I just never had just never had them. I had the confusion, yeah, and I had the tears for a while. But I think the tears were almost like con- were confusion tears. Mm. My husband says at the start I cried a lot, but it was almost like confusion. Why am I in the hospital? What's yeah. going on? I don't understand. I don't remember. And so it was like confusion tears. Yeah, um, and I was also really dizzy for about three or four months. I couldn't walk in a straight line um, because of the area of my brain. So it was like that drunk feeling. Yeah, oh, falling over and all that, but I didn't have the joy and the fun at actually being <laughs> drunk. Um, and uh, no, so I never had. I never once said why me. Never. Yeah. 
if I'm really honest, Jen, my mum died when I was 13 of leukaemia and she was only in her 40s. Um, I pretty much always thought I was going to die young, if I'm honest. I never verbalised it to anybody. Yeah. I never had. But I always thought I would. Mm. So when I woke up and I understood it and all that, I sort of I thought well, something was going to happen, wasn't it? Yeah. So I had, and now that I've I've verbalised that and that I've looked into that, lots of people, lots of people who lose a parent young believe they're going to die young. It's Most that, people do that have lost a parent young. That's the world that they experience. Exactly. That's what they think so you have that world. belief system. Mm. And so I really wasn't shocked that something had happened to me. Yeah. But equally, I was a wee bit like, well, I'm super positive. I mean, I just am and always have been. I was just like, well, it happened to me because I'm strong enough to survive it. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. We are where we are. Yeah. And therefore, I just, I, and it was just putting one step in front of the other. And I would have said when I spoke at that, because it is something I always say when I speak, is keep moving forward, Annie. I must have said this to myself in the last almost three years a million times, easily. I say it to myself all the time, and in those early days, it was repeated on replay in my head. Yeah. Keep moving forward, keep moving forward. Go a step further than you went in. At the start, my husband had to do everything for me. Take me to the toilet, shave my hair, legs, wash my hair, feed me more or less. Yeah. Do you know what? They had to do everything, not just him, my sisters and my friends. They had to do everything for me. And therefore... You know, I tell the funny story about how I had a catheter in, obviously, for a long time, and I'm out my face in the drugs. Everybody that visited me seen where that catheter was gone with, gone for. Yeah. I would open the blankets and I'd show them. <laughs> so we basically are in a place where all my pals have seen my fanny. <laughs> all right, say fanny on your podcast. <laughs> of course I um, so I so I forget what we're talking about now in my revelations. <laughs> You've shown everybody you know your fanny. <laughs> People that I know that are new have never seen it yet, but there's time. There's time. I think see when you've been through some sort of medical thing, you lose some of your inhibitions because when as like I've got Crohn's, so I, there's numerous doctors have stuck their fingers up my ear ends. Um, so I'm quite like. But for me, that is no longer something that Aye. is an issue. It's just like one of these things that needs to happen. And if you get hoity-toity about it all the time, there's bigger stuff to worry about in I life. Know. <laughs> I know. And you know, I'm We've so grateful. The NHS, I, still, I had a brain scan in October. And we're sitting here in December. Two months ago, I had an MRI. Um, I don't imagine they're cheap. No. <laughs> and I've had about six. Yeah. Do you know that way? And it's like, and I've got platinum in the middle of my brain. That can't be cheap either. Mm. So I absolutely applaud the NHS because I, I just think, you know, maybe you wait a long time for a hip replacement or something, but when the chips are right down, yeah. oh my God, do they show up for you? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's nothing if you showed up at a doctor's surgery or a hospital, you would never get turned away saying, sorry, we can't. Exactly. We can't look at you. Exactly. People do everything in their power. So I think my brain injury, I've always been a grateful person, but it's given me lots more gratitude. So I'm very, now, and I get that everybody that's got an illness or had a medical experience doesn't feel like this. So this is me just speaking for myself. I would not swap it for a minute. We were to get my husband in and ask him, I don't know what he would say if I'm yeah. honest with you. Um, but I would not swap it because that journey that I've been on and who I am now. Yeah. And I'm a very big believer that every single point in my life brought me to this moment. My God, what a good moment I'm in. Therefore, I wouldn't swap it. Yeah. Has it made your family more grateful? Um, I would think so. I mean, I think I've always been a great practice of gratitude. So it's something that my kids have got anyway, because it's something that we've always oh, done. And yeah. I think, and it's a worry, isn't it? And do I still know, like, you know, that the... the the sort of element of trauma, traumatic experience on children, especially my wee boy, he was only three, two, and he's five now. Um, and you do worry about, is there an impact? Like, he wouldn't remember what happened, but he'll remember how he felt. Yeah, you know what I mean? And, um, and as well, for my husband, you know, it was like when we were, I remember saying to him, like, once I understood it and all that, and I was starting to get better. Really sorry I wasn't here to help you. That must have been dread stressful for you. And he was like, oh, that's all right. I was born in chaos. I was brought up in chaos. I like chaos. It's normal life that freaks me the fuck out. And actually, I think that my husband probably displayed 
the trauma of it probably 18 months later. Yeah. Because he just, like, ran with looking after me, looking after the children. He just had to run with the life that he was dealt, the cards he was dealt at that time. Yeah. And I think when he got to a stage where he could look back at it and think, holy God, what have we just been through? Yeah. We didn't have time to think about mm. it because there was too much else to think so about. So I think that there is definitely, and I'm, I'm different now. I don't look different. I don't sound different. If you don't know me very well, you probably don't even notice that I'm different. But I know I'm a bit different. When I did a talk recently and one of my best pals, Paula, was with me and somebody asked me that question after I finished mm. speaking. And I find it hard to answer because I'm just the one Anne. So I just see the me that exists. Um, and she said it's like Anne has no fear. But not in a hedonistic, I'm going on motorbikes and stuff. Well, yeah. You know that way. Yeah. But that I'm just quite relentless in my journey mm. forward. And I need to accept that sometimes that means I could leave people and things on the debris. Um, and so I know I've got enough self-awareness to know that I need to sometimes slow down and that I need to sometimes think of the bigger picture. Um, in this way that I really don't care what people think of me means that sometimes I can say, I can offend people. And I can justify it to myself because I can think, well, I don't give a fuck if they don't like me. Yeah. But that's not really a good way sometimes to be, is it? Yeah. I mean, I went off in a whole rant with misogynists a while ago. Last 2018, that summer, I was right off in one about it. And I nearly got my husband into fights but three times by me confronting men that I believed had, had, had been misogynistic in their approach yeah. to whatever we were at. And I wasn't expecting my husband to do anything. I genuinely thought I could fight this asshole. Obviously, my husband was never going to let that happen. <laughs> and he's no scared of a fight. He would have yeah. battled them had he had to. Had to. Yeah. But I think the united force of us two made folk go, all right, OK. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, but that's not good, because I would never have done that in the past. Yeah. And so I can applaud myself for it every single minute of the week for my heart. I have to sometimes remember in my head it's not the right thing to do. Yeah. Mm. So a, there's the difficulty, I think. It's that fine balance of social awareness uh-huh. of is what I'm going to do appropriate in, uh-huh. in the big picture. Uh-huh. Even if in your heart of heart you know that that person's in the wrong or uh-huh. you don't agree with her or you want to get your point across. Uh-huh. And so I think that's probably a tightrope that I still, I still walk that is like, how do I balance out I think I'm getting better at it and my need for things to happen now because I don't know, Jen. But then that's about their insecurities, that about is. their self and their life and the fact that they maybe don't have those goals because maybe they've never been encouraged to have them. Mm. And I know. Or being in on that space of, I might not be alive tomorrow mm-hmm. to do that. If you don't have that sense of urgency, mm-hmm. it's hard to be able to feel it. Aye. Like because you've never been confronted with it. Uh-huh. And so I think that if you knew me, forever, if you've been somebody that's known me for a long time, before I and after I, then you can recognise that difference. But I have wonderful friends who, part of the bit we were talking to start about pals, it's like, I know who my pals are. It's nothing like nearly dying to know who your pals are, Jen. Mm-hmm. Yep. And therefore, that's why I can say, I'm all right, you know, I'm my pal. <laughs> I'm not here to make pals. <laughs> yep. mm-hmm. um, and I think that they all showed up immensely for me and they all love me regardless yeah. and because of a lot of them. But sometimes some of them just say, right, Anna, you need to slow down now. And I know I sometimes, like, I've got lots of different stuff happening just now. See, I've not seen one of my best pals for a couple of weeks, meet up for a coffee, what you been? And I'm no one for sending all my news on text, right? I would yeah. rather wait till I see somebody. And I start telling them this and they're like, oh, my God, Anne. <laughs> It's just happened in a fortnight. <laughs> and it's like some big things, do you know yeah. what I mean? And it's like, oh, maybe you should slow down a wee bit, Annie. But 
I can I am capable of slowing down. It's just who I am. Yeah. But so then sometimes I just don't tell people what I'm up to. Yeah, but then if you've still got time, like when you were saying about you put your phone away and you still read a book, watch the te- watch the movie, spent time with the kids, cook uh-huh. a meal, you're still getting it's not like you've gone fuck everything else. Uh, I'm on this one train journey uh-huh. to get to that day. No, no, no. We're getting all the other stuff done as well. What is amazing for me is after I watch the Welsh, I don't really watch TV, which is why me watching a movie that day, I would watch a movie, but I don't, there's not a show that I sit down and watch. Yeah. Um, after I was in the Welsh, my coins, well, my eyes were sore for a long time, so I couldn't actually cope with the lights or the TV uh, or the noise, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but my memory, which can still get a wee bit lost, God knows if I've repeated myself in this a few times, but um, watching something, I would be confused by what was happening in it. And mm-hmm. I'd be like, who's that? What did they say? What's that? Why are they doing that? Complete confusion, which then would get a wee bit upsetting. So then I just thought, right, stop watching the telly. Yeah. So I stopped watching the telly. Oh my God, you've got so many hours in your life when you don't watch TV. Yes. Actually, yeah. people just don't watch the telly for a week and you wait till you see how much time you've got. Put your phone down for a few hours. Uh-huh. And like, time is like almost limitless. And you're like, I don't know what to do with myself. Exactly. <laughs> and isn't that nice to not know what to do with yourself and just have some peace? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've definitely created a lot of that space for mm-hmm. myself as well, having mm-hmm. not been ill because, like, having been ill because you sometimes can't leave the house. Right. So it's like... I have to cancel things that maybe I quite liked doing, but maybe I didn't love doing, or mm-hmm. it's reprioritizing. Exactly. Into you. And soap operas just turn me. No. If anything, just now in our current climate, I watch the news a bit too much, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I can turn that off because, let's face it, we can always turn that off. Yeah, because it'll be on again in another hour. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so I would watch TV, like maybe watch some news or watch some like debates or whatever. Yeah. Just now. But I'll stop doing that again now because the election's been. So, um, aye, but not watching TV and just reprioritising what is important to me. And I would rather sit and listen to it. I mean, I listen to or watch Oprah every single day. Yeah. She was part of my journey of getting better. I decided very early on, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to write a book that helps change that helps women change how they think about themselves. And I'm going to be on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> and I've literally held on to that and continue to hold on to that. Yeah. And I believe I will do that. How close are you to finishing your book? Not anywhere near close to finishing my book. Okay. But I suppose I rationalise that these things probably happen quite quickly when she's when she's ready to do it. Yes. I don't think every book takes five years to write. I think my book so far has taken three years to conjure up the idea of. Yeah. Which I have got the idea. I still haven't got the inspiration to sit down and write it yet. But when I get the inspiration, I would imagine it's probably going to be written in a couple of months. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And even at that... Like when I wrote my book, I sent set one Saturday every week. I went for three or four hours and sat in a coffee shop where I didn't have Wi-Fi or distractions. And sat and got out and over, I think, six Saturdays I managed to get exactly. the full content. And then after that, it was sending it to people to read, to get their opinions, to chop and change things, do a wee bit of editing. And then it was done. So the actual creation of it, if you dedicate a certain amount of time to do it, that part of it's actually quite quick. It's all the other uh-huh. around about it to get you. And being freelance, down. being freelance means very much that I can, if I need to take a month out to write my book, I will take a month out and write my book yeah. because I've got the freedom to do that. But I think also a huge part of what I've been doing this year, I had this whole belief that you can't write a book in isolation. You could write the best book in the world, but if nobody knows who you are, then nobody's ever going to buy it. Yeah. So a huge reason that I do all the stuff that, you know, the TV and the radio and my columns that I do and magazines and, and Glasgow Live and stuff, it's about building that audience who when they see my book, I'll be like, oh, her, oh, I quite like her stuff. I'm going to go to that book launch. Yeah. And I say, so I love the Grand Central Hotel in Glasgow and I want to do my book launch in the ballroom, nice. and which, you know, for that kind of event would probably fit about four or 500 people. And um, I think... I will, I will launch my book when I know I can get four or 500 people in the room. Just now I think I could get 100 in. Yeah. So I'm still, I'm still 300 people away. Yeah. So it's all right that I've not finished writing it yet. Yeah. Have a rationalise it. And then by the time your book's ready to come out, Oprah will be on that waiting list to buy it because she'll already know how to buy Maybe. Maybe. Well, I believe what will happen is I will self-publish it because I can't be bothered waiting for somebody else to give me permission to say the words I want to say. Yeah. So I will self-publish it. It will get picked up by a publisher. They will take it to America and Oprah's people will read it. <laughs> it's all planned. I've spent a lot of hours thinking about this. 
have you written it down? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We were talking about that before, Uh about a friend that you have that when you spoke to him and asked him how did he get to where he is, he was like, I just wrote wrote everything down. Uh So much power in that. And it's just that level of self-belief. And I I think that we can tie ourselves up in that writing down of things because it changes what you want. But literally, I think everybody that has heard me talk or listened to me or read and they know that I'm going to write a book that's on Oprah, so I feel as if everybody else is now co-creating it with me. Yes. Because they actually say, oh, have you written your book for Oprah yet? I was like, nearly. But the fact that they believe in it with me, yeah, it just makes it even real, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So it's been quite the journey, to be fair, Jen. Yeah. But I wouldn't swap a minute yet. What is it, my Angela? I wouldn't take anything from my journey now. Mm-hmm. I've heard books called, I just die, it's... It's, life has been a journey, you know, and I think that that's what makes life beautiful, isn't it, though? Absolutely. It's all those things that you go through, all those ups and downs. Would I rather have lived life in a straight line or be lots of ups and downs? No, lots of ups, ups and, downs. and downs, definitely. I think. Uh-huh. Definitely. So what else is next other than your book being on Oprah? Right, well, I don't know. I don't know. I've got, I, I've got too many ideas is my problem. So I do a lot of bits of different works. Yeah. So 2020 is certainly the year about sort of an arrowing that down a wee bit. Mm. Um, I'd like to do a bit more of broadcasting that's a bit more... I worry that there is no a voice for normal women out there that is an adequate voice. Yeah. You know, things like loose women drive me mad. Why do we assume just because a woman's in the house during the day that she wants to watch that golf? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, I did. I don't watch it. I don't watch it either. I don't watch it either. But I read things that they've said, and yeah. I've seen wee bits of it, and um, and I think it's about how do I how how do I speak to more women? That's what I want to do. I know that it's women that. Uh, do you know something? I'm no alienating men. Men, if you're liking what I'm saying, fantastic. Fill your boots. Yeah. Just know that it's no for you that I'm saying it. But if yeah. you're getting it, that's good for you. But how can how can I continue to empower and inspire women to know that their lives can be different? And I think with my show and with my writing, what I'm always trying to do is to get people to appreciate that you can look at things differently. I'm not telling you what to believe. I'm not telling you what to think. I'm saying accept that you could maybe change your mind on that. You can maybe yeah. look at it from a different angle. Because once you do that and you see there is a different way of looking at things, then you start to revolutionise your life. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I think that's the plan. Perfect. Just keep moving forward, Annie, that's the plan. Just keep moving forward. I love that. Mm-hmm. Just keep moving forward. Aye. Perfect. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. That was so fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> so if anybody wants to follow you on social media, TV, your channels and stuff, where's the best place for you to find you? So you get me on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and Husic Night. If you want to hear my radio show, you'll get that on my, I've got a Mixcloud. So if you log on to Mixcloud and you just put in on Husic Night, you'll get all my previous um, radio shows and some podcasts that I've done too. And um, you'll get the People's News on BBC iPlayer as well. And in Glasgow Live every Sunday night, Ignite night Sunday Wisdom. And aye, that's it. You want to get the BBC iPlayer if you get a TV licence. I need to go to my mum's to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Sure you do. (laughs) Thanks for listening and remember to leave a review and subscribe over on iTunes or SoundCloud. And check out what's going on at IamJenWilson.com or head over to Instagram and give us a follow. Just following Iam.JenWilson.